Amen. 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 Thank you. Jeff Parsons, thank you for the kind invitation. You're a good friend, buddy. It's always good to work with you. Kendall and Jen, it's been a joy. It's been fun to work together. Randy and Marley, I tell you what, our paths are going to need to converge again someday. Let's do this again. Shall we do it? Of all the places I've ever spoken, of all the camps I've ever done, this week's camp has been the most recent. <laughs> I, I mean that sincerely. But that's awful. Bring up the next screen, will you please? Um, by the way, uh, I send out, I'm writing a book, and I, if, if you've been intrigued by some of just the insights regarding um, geography, history, Jewish culture, archaeology, I send out free of charge a Holy Land devotional every single week. Full color pictures by, used by permission. Uh, and, and I just lift insights out of passages like I've been doing this week. If you're interested in receiving that, I don't want to junk up your inbox. I will not ask you for money. There, there's my email address. Just simply email me and say, and just say, put me on the list. I'd like to receive your weekly email devotional. And I'm more than happy to do that. There's uh, lots of people who are on that. And, uh, and maybe you'll find that helpful. It was a number of years ago when um, apparently we must have had a leak in our roof at home. And it started, I didn't know that at the time, but I noticed a wet spot in our, on the ceiling of our garage. And, and the wet spot get, kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally the wet spot was like this big. And I thought, oh, what is going on, man? I don't, you know, like, I, and suddenly it caved in on my great van, conversion van. You remember the van. And it, yeah, and it had, you know, the, the yellow ins or the, the, the pink insulation. It was all wet and it just kind of melted through. And, and I, we realized there was a leak in, the, in, the, in, the, in our roof. And now the ceiling of the garage, and it's got a hole this big in the drywall. And Judy says to me, we're going to need to call somebody to fix that. To which I responded, I, I can fix that. Now, I've, I'm not the handiest guy. I, I, I've never done drywall. I had no idea how to do this. And again, I mean, I kind of muddle through, but I don't know a Phillips screwdriver from a Phillips Craig and Dean CD. I don't know. I mean, I just... I, I, and so I, I go, we lived in Amish country, and so I, I went over to um, this Amish hardware. My buddy Aiden Schwartz was there. And I walk in, I said, Aiden, I've got a, I, I got a hole in our ceiling in the drywall, like, like this big, I need to fix it. And he says, do you need half inch or three eighths? Uh, it, it's this big. <laughs> All right, you need three eighths. I'm going to give you uh, a four by eight sheet, three eighths. Uh, do you have any mud? <laughs> well, we used to, but I put gravel in the driveway, and now that's, that's that's pretty much cleared it up. And no, 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 drywall mud. You, okay, you're going to need drywall mud. Do you have any tape? You're going to need tape. <laughs> Duct tape, or I mean, what kind? Of, and so he gives me this white paper tape that's not sticky on either side, which was totally useless. So now I've got mud and tape and this 4 by 8 drywall sheet. 
three eighths. You're right. It was three eighths. And so the conversion van, you remember back in the days when everybody had a four conversion van with the captain's chairs and the little couch in the back and the couch would open up, you know? And so what we did when we opened up the back doors, the four by eight sheet barely fit through the opening, but I had to drop the couch down and we, we got it, we picked it up and we scooted it in until it hit the back of the second set of captain's chairs, but it was sticking this far out of the out of the back of the, of the van. So we, ha we had to, leave, rather than closing the doors, we had to leave the van doors open. And yeah, don't get ahead of the story. We, we, we had to get the, and, and he tied it with some binder twine. And then I'll never forget these words. Take it easy. <laughs> now that's critical. So, you know, we, I got in the van and paid for it. I got my, my mud, the useless tape, and I got the 4 by 8 sheet of 3 8 inch drywall. Here we go. And so I'm driving home, and I'm going down Doty Road, and I'm going 30, 40, at 55 miles per hour, I hear the back doors of the van close. That, that is not a good sound. And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's my sheet of drywall going 55 miles per hour down Doty Road, flat. And I'm thinking, oh, nuts. So I hit the brake, back up, go all the way back about, you know, four or 500 yards, stop, and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be bad. There it was. It's in one piece. I can't believe it. I mean, it, it's... Oh, this is great. But now there's no even choice. i got to get the drywall back into my van. So what I do is I open the van doors back up again, tug the drywall up and so it's right underneath the bumper, lift it up so I can get the tip of it up on, on the back of the couch, go around, pick up the other end, pick it up and, you know, and then... And it opened the doors back up and tie it with binder time and think, man, I dodged a bullet. I can't believe it. So I get back in the van and I, I start back up again. 20, 30, 40. I did it again. I can't I look at the rear view mirror. There's a piece of four by eight, you know, just skittering down Doty. A second time. I can't believe it. Oh, I'll, I'll be a dirty bird. And so I, I hit the brakes, back up, same deal. Go back and reverse, three or four hundred yards, get out, and I'm thinking, I mean, it's, it's in one piece. I mean, it's got some black skid marks on the bottom of it, but, but it, it's in one piece. I'm thinking, holy cow. So I bring it back up again, put, put it up up on the lip of the couch, get back around, pick up the end, hit the captain's chair. And the rest of the way home, I mean, I, I am taking it easy, like Aiden said. Back the, back the van up, 
to the garage and make the garage door go up, back it up, and get the lip or the back tires of the van into the garage. Judy comes out and goes, where have you been? <laughs> Don't ask. So I, and she goes, you need a hand? I said, no. I, so I, I, pulled, I pulled the drywall out, and as it's pulling out, you know, it's, I'm pulling it out. I pull it all the way out, and it drops to the garage floor, and it busts into a thousand pieces. <laughs> And then it dawns on me, you know, I mean, drywall, it's basically made out of chalk, <laughs> except it's flat, and it has this paper, an envelope. And what I realized is the first two times it falls out of the van, Breakage occurs, you just can't see it. Well, you keep doing that. Eventually, breakage will occur where you can see it. How many times in my Christian life have I done something wrong, fallen to temptation, or, or where breakage has occurred, and I look and think, Nothing happened. I beat the system. Are you with me? And the this thing will sucker punch you. Because the illusion is, man, I was pretty lucky. If only I would have heeded the advice of the person who knew who, what he was talking about, Aiden Schwartz, my Amish buddy. If only we would heed the advice of the one who knows what he's talking about. Because otherwise, damage is going to, it damage will happen. It just happens on the inside first. Eventually, it will come to the outside, see. We're going to be looking at a passage, and this is, this is a, a, a thrilling passage. It's the story of, of the fall of Jericho. Pull out your note outline. I'm going to read the text. Again, there's some funny stuff that happens in this thing that you've kind of always like, what, what, what's going on here? What, what's all this about? And I'm going to have you underline certain sections and circle certain sections, interacting with the text once again. Here we go. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now, let me stop right there. What he sees is a man. Had you been there, there would have been Joshua. You would have seen Joshua, and you would have seen this man with a drawn sword. Now, the reality is this man that Joshua sees is the angel of the Lord. There's a handful of times in the Old Testament where the pre-incarnate Christ, or God takes on human form. The same thing happened at Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels appeared to Abraham. The angel of the Lord is Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Uh, remember when um, Jacob wrestled with the angel. Actually, it was the angel of the Lord. 
Because Jacob himself says, I have wrestled with the Lord. And so there, there, every once in a while, you see this emergence. That's what's taking place here. Joshua went up to him and said, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. Again, let me push the pause button. Our tendency is to think that God is always on my side, and, and he is in a sense, but that God is on my side politically. I've got news for you. God is neither Republican nor Democrat. Thank you. Well, what, I remember a lady calling me and saying, and I'm not taking a political stance here, but she was, don't, don't you believe that God has put Donald Trump in that position? Absolutely. I also happen to believe that God put Osama, I mean, uh, that God put Obama in that position. Had Hillary Clinton won, God would have put her in the, God put Hitler in that position. Do you be, and let me ask you a question. Do you believe God put Pontius Pilate in that position? Do you believe God put Herod the Great? Yes. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Now, I don't understand how, how all that works, but, but if we're not careful regarding this COVID thing, regarding wearing masks and not wearing masks, you think you're right. And I was telling somebody at supper, na national surveys as well as a survey we took in our, in our church, in our chest, in our church, it's a bell-shaped curve on this stuff. And there's good people on both sides of this stuff, see? We've got people in our tabernacle that said, you know what, I don't think masks are necessary. We have people in the tabernacle that says, you know what, I, I think it's important for us to wear masks. And then we got the a lot of people in the in the large bell shape right in the middle going. Our tendency is to think my perspective is the right one, and God's on my side. See? A friend of mine said, texted me today and said, at our church today, the leaders are getting together and we're having a meeting about COVID. There's lots of personalities, opinions. Please pray for the meeting. And I said, I'm on it. He texted me an hour ago, goes, the meeting didn't go well. How can that be? How can that be? Because it's, it's, it's this Joshua mentality, are you on our side or on their side? And isn't it interesting, the Lord's response? Neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my what? He knew who this was. Usually if you fall face down in front of an angel, the angel will say, get up. I don't deserve to be worshipped. It's interesting. This time he didn't. What does my Lord, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Watch. The commander of the Lord's army replied, I think in your text do I have the, the, the typeface different. There's a reason for that. Watch. Take your sandal, singular, off your foot, singular. For the place where you are standing is holy. What does that sound like? Yeah, bur burning bush incident. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. See, Joshua is making connection here. 
for the place where you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. End of the conversation. What in the world was all that about? Well, what's that have to do with the price of eggs? I'll explain in a minute. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, now what I want you to do is underline verses 2 through 5. 2, 3, 4, 5, underline. Watch what, what the Lord says to Joshua. I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with this king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Okay, every day for six days, you're going to circumvent Jericho, and I'll explain what that looked like, once. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns, the shofar, in front of the ark, and on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse, and people will go up, every man straight in. Got it. This is what God is saying to Joshua. So, Joshua called the priests and said to them, now in verses 6 and 7, just put a bracket around that. Watch what Joshua tells the people. Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. That's all he tells the people. Verse 13. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them. The rear guard followed the ark of the Lord. Trumpets were sounding. And so on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. And they did this for six days. But on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak, marked around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, what happens? The walls fall what direction? Outward so that every man could charge straight in up the inclined plane. Remember? Piece of cake. Makes complete sense, doesn't it? All right, let me explain to you the challenges before them. Here we go. Note outline, uh, writing time. Number one, the city, this thing was a beast. It is a formidable fortress. The walls, each wall, remember there's two sets of walls. Each wall is 30 feet high. Any idea how thick? Probably, yeah. 6 to 12 feet thick. 6 to 12 feet thick. 30 feet high as you look at it. Here they're, they're sitting like this. When you look at it from this perspective, it is a 10-story building. No way. No way. Ain't going to happen. And like I said, once you, even if you could get over the first wall, how are you going to clear the second? Well, we'll just pull the ladders up that we use on the first wall. Oh, you got a five-story ladder? 
And you think the people in Jericho are going to be on top going, oh, man. Boiling oil. Take a peek. Here we go. Next screen. This is what I showed you from last night. Remember, north is this direction over here. This says rampart. Here's, here's an inclined plane right here that goes up to the city gate right there. So this is the entrance state. Now remember, they're, they're going to be coming from the east. They're going to be coming from this direction probably over here. They come from the east. And this is what they're dealing with. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to take that image and I'm going to superimpose it with an aerial photograph of, of Jer Jericho today. Next image, please. Interesting. This is a bird's eye view. This literally, by, by, by the way, you see the interstate right here? It's crazy. Here comes the interstate. This is going to end up leading up to the Jericho Road. Huh? Good Samaritan Jericho Road. Zacchaeus Jericho Road with switchbacks going back. All right. So what I've done, I've oriented this. Notice where north is. Okay, if that's north and that's west, that means the Jericho River is to the east. The Jericho River is probably down in this area down here. But I can't show you with my pointer. So, the house of Rahab is probably right around here. And then if you go this direction, which is heading west, these, these are the, 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 this is the Judean wilderness. Remember I showed you last night. So when the spies are let down out of her house, they go this way towards the Judean hills and those caves. Meanwhile, all the king's horses and all the king's men, they're looking over this way. They're going towards the fords of the Jordan, we're told. Next screen. Literally, this is from the Tell of Jericho. They have done a number of digs. There's been a number of archaeological digs. They're going on all the time there. This is literally one of the revetment walls that you can see that they have excavated out. You're looking, and by the way, you are looking at history of thousands of years ago. Thousands of, this was not rebuilt. The walls would have stood on top of that and would have tumbled down, covering it up. But this would have been the foundation beneath the walls. And as I showed you last night, next screen, what is that? Probably the house of Rahab. Again, German excavations back in the 20s discovered one section of the wall did not fall down or fall outward. It remained steadfast. This section right here. And by the way, what do you see from this section in the distance? The Judean wilderness. Do you see it out there? That's where the spies would have gone. I tell you what, you stand there and you read this account and you're thinking this makes all kinds of sense. These are real people dealing with a real issue in real time. <coughs> Number two, well, I've got an idea. Let's besiege the city. You've heard of that verb, besiege or lay siege. Do you know what that means? When you, and by the way, the Romans did this all the time. When you besiege a city, what you do, and they did this at Masada, you just simply encircle the city, and nobody goes in and nobody goes out. Unless they have a water source 
inside the city walls, what's going to happen? You're going to get really thirsty. <coughs> See? But we're told that the Jordan River was swollen at harvest time. Which means they've got an, a, a whole year's harvest inside probably a water source. By the way, at Masada, the, the seeds lasted over a year. And you know what they did when the Romans would try to come up? They would pour water on them to mock them. There are cisterns at the top of Masada capable of holding 20 Olympic swimming pools. It says it could have supported 1,000 men for 100 years. That much water. So if you're going to besiege us at Masada, ha, we're going to dump water on you just to mock you. So you're not going to besiege the city for several reasons. Number one, it happened at harvest. They got tons of supplies. You're not sure, and probably the spies found out, they may have a water supply inside. They'll outlast you. Besides that, uh, Rahab said, all of the kings of this area and all the Canaanites, they are, we are melting in fear. You lay seas in the city, guess what? They're going to get over their fear. So you have got this window of opportunity to strike Jericho while they're back on their heels. You have got to strike while the iron's hot. You don't have time to build siege engines. You don't have time to build battering rams. Besides, the people are not warriors. They only, in the last 40 years, they only fought once or twice. Now they're going to have to learn how to fight. See? And besides that, some of the men are still walking like this because they were just circumcised. The advantage is not, to their, is not theirs. Except, the Lord said, I have given you Jericho. See, I've given you Jericho. So, issue number three. In terms of military tactics, I told you this the other night, they had to take Jericho. If you don't take Jericho, and if you don't establish that as a beachhead, kind of like in, at Normandy, we had on D-Day, we had to establish a beachhead on, in Europe. Otherwise, you're not, you're not gonna you're not gonna push against the third Reich, the Nazis. And, and Eisenhower understood that. I have got to establish a beachhead. The problem was Hitler, uh, the Nazis had no idea where they were going to attack. And so they did all these fake attacks. We're going to pretend like we're going to go north. We're going to pretend like we go south. And but so besides that, Rommel, Hitler's general, was at a birthday party and screwed up. And they, when they landed at Normandy, it was a surprise. They, they, had, some, they had resistance there, but it was a surprise. Eisenhower knew we have got to establish a beachhead in Normandy. Same thing. Joshua recognized, I have, I have got to take Jericho or we're dead meat. Next screen. Here's why. I don't know if you can see it. This is where, this is Shittim, plains of Moab, Dead Sea. Okay, right there is Mount Nebo, where uh, Moses dies. This is where we look into the promised land. There's Jericho, there's Gilgal, where they got circumcised. We, what he's going to do, he's going to do a southern campaign, a central campaign, and a northern campaign. In terms of military strategy, if you don't take that, you're toast. You have got to establish a presence at, at, there so you can spread out for the southern, central, and northern campaigns. Eisenhower studied this, by the way. 
and I told you the other night, they still study these tactics at West Point. He's considered one of, the, one of the great military geniuses in history. So part of it was strategy. But before that, this, it's not all strategy. And that's where we get into this whole idea of the requirements for victory. Let's go to the next one, please. Victory was not going to be dependent on his strategy. Although Joshua had good strategy. In fact, when he walked in and the, and the, the captain of the Lord's host comes up to him and goes, and, and, and Joshua goes, who are you for? Us, uh, us or them? I'm the strategist. I'm the general. I want to know whose side you're on. And the Lord of the, the captain of the Lord's host goes, you're asking the wrong question, dude, because you want to know something? The battle's not yours anyway. Lots of luck with the strategy. I'm glad that you're, you're a tactician, but if, you're going to have to play it my way. And so what's going to have to happen, it will require surrender and submission. Those are two different words. Surrender and submission. Joshua asked, are you for us or our enemies? And the response was, neither I have come. And jot on your note outline, here we go. The Lord has not come to take sides He's come to take over. What you and I need to understand, and especially in this COVID thing and with the presidential election, frankly, God is not interested in taking sides. By the way, regardless of who wins the election, God's not going to go, oh, for crying out loud. I didn't see that one coming. <sighs> Oh, what am I going to do? That messes everything up. Are you kidding me? I mean, about the time I get all worked up and like, oh, no, what's going to happen? I mean, is Trump going to get reelected? Or Biden going to come in? Guys got this thing. The issue is, well, I want my candidate to, you know, want to know something? He's come to take over. Jesus has come to take over. I need to surrender to whatever happens. Well, the American public sure screwed that up. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God or don't you? See? And so there's got to be this idea, I cannot do it in the flesh. And so Joshua goes, are you for us or them? And the next thing you realize, Joshua's flat on his face. Realizing I can't do this with my tactics and strategies anyway. That's exactly right. And by the way, as you're addressing issues in your life and things with your kids and grandkids and your marriage, why well, I'm going to do this and we're going to do that and, and we're going to try and to pull this off and we're going to, that's fine. Before you need to start though, you just need to surrender. You need to surrender your kid. You need to surrender your grand. You need to surrender your marriage. You need to surrender your own stinking pride, and so do I. See. Rather than tell, isn't it interesting? It starts out by Joshua telling God what to do. And then Joshua had to realize he wasn't in charge anyway. See, you and I have got to come to the conclusion that you're not in charge. And then what's confusing is this business about taking off the shoe. What's all that about? Where are we? Where are we? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army says, take your sandal off your foot. 
For the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did. What's all that about? What's this shoe business? Well, let me tell you what it's about. It's very critical. Your version may say, take off your sandals, plural. That's a bad translation. The Hebrew word is singular. Joshua, take your sandal off of your foot. Why is he told to do that? You're dealing with a Jewish cultural issue. When you, and by the way, you will see this, when they knocked on the statue of Saddam Hussein, what did they do with the statue? Took their shoe off and began smacking it. Remember when George Bush was over there in the Middle East, George W., and somebody in a press conference threw a shoe at, remember? Okay. In the, it's a Middle Eastern issue. It's a Middle Eastern custom. Jot in your margin, Ruth 4, 6 through 8. Ruth 4, 6 through 8. When a covenant was established between two individuals in which one had the power to keep the covenant and the other didn't, the person of weakness would take off their shoe and give it to the other person. What you, you see it with Boaz in the book of Ruth. Remember when he was bargaining with the, with, with the, the uh, well, I forget the, t- the, ter- the, the term for the guy, kinsman redeemer. And it's this shoe bit, I'm taking off my shoe and giving it to you. Because what that means, the person handing the shoe over means, jot it in, I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Now you understand what's going on. When he's flat of his face, by the way, in that culture, when you are flat of your face, you cannot swing your sword or defend yourself. You have, you have bared your neck. It is a position of surrender. Giving the shoe is a position of submission. I can't do this. You can. That's what's going on here. And I think what's taking place, if this doesn't occur, this Jericho stuff's not going to work. Because you can do all the tactics and strategizing you want to. You've got plans. You're going to, you know, this is what we're going to do financially with my 401k. This is what we're going to do. You know what? This is what we're going to do with our daughter. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to get her to counseling. Okay, that's fine. But you better start with these two issues here first. Are you willing to let him call the shots? Am I willing to let him call the shots on this COVID thing? Am I willing to let him call the shots on the election? Am I willing to have him call the shots regarding my prodigal son? That's the starting place. Otherwise, what you're going to do, you're going to try and pull this thing off in the flesh. And you you saw what happened when they did that at AI. Right after this one, they went to AI, by the way. At AI, they got, they got miserable, because of Aiken's sin, they got miserably defeated. 
Not one indication is given that Joshua prayed about that battle. <laughs> well, we just took Jericho. AI, piece of cake. Well, my bubba, AI. I can do this all by myself. Yeah, how's that working for you? See? You will default to doing it in your own strength. And I tell you what, I've lit up the night sky plenty of times by trying to do it myself. And so have you. Here's the starting place. Number two. Victory requires obedience to God's word. God said, okay, general, here's what we're doing. We're going to march around this city once, every day. Ark out front and guys blowing trumpets. How's that sound? And by the way, uh, let me check. The size of Jericho was about the size, nine, jot this in your margin, nine to ten acres. About the size of eight football fields. So people have figured this out. You've got to stay far away. You, gotta, you can't be right up against the wall. Why not? you got crossbowmen. See? you got crossbowmen and archers. So you've got to stay away. You've got to stay away at least 100 yards. By the way, they, they did not fear the archers or the crossbowmen as much as somebody else. Slingers. Slingers. Like David... Those dudes, I mean, they, they could hurl those cannonballs almost 100 yards. That's how Goliath got killed. On the battlefield in Israel, archers and crossbowmen, okay. Slingers, ah! See, you, so you, they got to keep their distance. And so they have figured out the perimeter and the circumference. You stay far enough away to keep slingers and, and, and crossbowmen from nailing you. They are now walking around. It's going to be at least a mile around. Now, you see, I lay awake at night thinking of this stuff. So, here's what we're going to do it. Now, can you imagine out there? Joshua comes back and says, got it. I'll tell the people. Everybody assembles. Okay, boss, what's the strategy? All right, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to knock out Jericho. See Jericho? Piece of cake. We got this. All right, first guy's up. Guys at the Ark of the Covenant. Priests, get up there. You got the Ark of the Covenant. Next guy's up. Trumpeters. Next guy's everybody else. And then we're going to march around the city one time. Remember our two friends? You know, Frank and Larry are sitting there going, Man, this is, this is, what do you think, Larry? This doesn't sound good. This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I'm going to knock some heads together. No, we're gonna. We're just gonna march. All right. I guess he knows what he's doing. No, no, he doesn't know what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. All right, Frank. I'll follow you, dude. And so they they march around one time. Well, that that looked like it did a lot of good, Larry. They get up the next morning. What are we gonna do today? We're gonna do the same thing. Okay, apparently it didn't take yesterday. So they... Great. Next day, same thing. Next day, same thing. Next day. I mean, this is six days in a row. 
on the seventh day, hey, we're going to change tactics today. This day we're going to go around seven times. On about the sixth time around on Saturday, Frank says to Larry, I don't know about you, dude, but do you see those walls? They don't look any closer to coming down than on Monday. I could be wrong here, Frank, but it looks exactly the same today as it did on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and the last five trips around. You just you do you just do the right thing. It doesn't have to make sense. I don't understand. I told you this the other day. If you insist on bowing at the altar of understanding, you're going to be disappointed. You don't have to understand it. Like I told you, I remember in a famous book it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own yeah, you and I go, i, I got to understand this before I'm going to do it. Where's that come from? Gee, a guy says, my ways are not your ways. Neither are my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens above the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my ways higher than your ways. God has his ways of doing this. And they're not going to be your ways, and you're not going to understand it. By the way, that's a promise. So try, stop trying to understand what he's doing and just do the right thing. Let him do it, see? Cooperate. Don't resist. Don't be like Larry and Frank. Next screen. Did it ever dawn on you that that which God told Joshua, and you underline that portion, you compare that with what Joshua told the people, they never knew the strategy. Isn't it interesting? Joshua never told them. Compare the two passages. Joshua didn't say, okay, guys, listen up. Frank and Larry, pay attention. Here's what we're doing. Day one, we're going to march around. We're going to take the ark. We're going to do the trumpet deal. We're going to march around one time. That's going to happen on Monday. Tuesday, same deal, once around. <coughs> Wednesday, same deal, once around. Thursday, Friday, once around. Now, on, this, on, the, on the last day, whatever, the sixth day or the seventh day, whatever it was, now, today, what we're going to do, we're going to go around seven times, blow the trumpet, and I'm going to say, shout. When you shout, walls are coming down. That's the strategy. I know it doesn't make sense, but that's what God told me. Isn't it interesting, Joshua never said that to the people. As far as they were concerned, hey, it's going to happen on Monday. Oh, guess it didn't happen. Well, certainly tomorrow it'll, they'll come down. Didn't happen on that day. They never knew how long they were going to have to do this. Joshua never told them. You see, you and I insist on knowing the whole picture. I gotta know every step along the way. No, you don't. What what God is calling you to do is to be faithful, even though it just seems it seems routine day after day after day. You keep doing that, and God will honor that. You keep loving your husband, 
You keep serving your wife. You keep doing the loads of laundry. You keep disciplining your kid. You keep praying for your prodigal. And that seems endless. And that seems routine. And you have no idea how long it's going to last. You don't have to do that. God knows that. You just do the right thing. That's what he's calling you to do. And so when you go home tonight, like I'm going to go leave pretty shortly, get home around 2 in the morning, I just can't wait to get home. I love you people. I love you. I love Judy more. <laughs> See? One of my takeaways from this camp is, Joel, you, you stay faithful day after day after day, and you keep doing the right thing. And it may make no sense, and you may not see any end in sight, and it may seem routine and exceedingly dull. That's okay. Because God's up to doing something. He can. I can't. Are you on my side or my enemy? I have come to take over. Why don't you let him? Let's pray. Father, every single person here tonight is facing a walled city. There is just no way we can strategize how to get over those walls. They're too high. They're too thick. I'm not strong enough. Lord, help us to recognize you are not asking me to solve these issues. You're asking me to submit and surrender. You will solve them. Forgive me for trying to figure it all out. Lord, you don't call me to be a fixer. You call me to be faithful. I just want to fix it. Lord, I don't know a Philip's head from a... Help me to be surrendered and submissive and to do the right thing and to do it over the long haul. I pray for my dear, beloved friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, listening coast to coast on the internet, gathered under this tent tonight. Would you help us? And beloved, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to think of what the walled city is that you're facing. And I want you to put your hand out, palm side up, and just release that thing to the Lord right now. Lord, I'm just going to let it go again. Lord, I'm going to let it go. And I'm going to ask that you would work, that you would move, that you would call these, cause these walls to fall outward. Lord, that you would help us to, to, to follow your word as they followed the ark to proclaim victory because we're fighting not for victory, but from victory. And Lord, we give it to you and we're going to choose to trust you on this last night of camp. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm going to ask Kendall, would you come please and just have some closing words, pray for us, brother. It's been a joy to work with you, man. Thank you, Joe.
Amen. Well, as we get ready to leave, uh, just a couple reminders real quick. First of all, we do have uh, a hot dog roast that you can join us and say goodbye to your friends and family. We've got the sale at the bookstore. We also need a very small group of people who can help move some of the equipment. So if you are willing to help move some equipment, if you could stay back and do that, please. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close camp tonight, we thank you for all that you've done here. We thank you, Lord, for the way that you've used Joel to proclaim the word each evening. We thank you for the work that you've done even here tonight in people's hearts. We thank you for the way you've used Randy and Marley to lift up songs and worship. We thank you for the way you've used the Bible study teachers, uh, both for the adults and for the kids, for the youth, for the lessons that we've learned, for the way we've gone closer. Even more, just in the quietness of our campsites, enjoying the sunset at Roberta's Walk, Lord, whatever it is, Lord, where we've met you this week, we just thank you for that time. As we prepare to head home, Lord, we know you go with us. You go before us. You follow along behind us. You completely encircle us, Lord, and cover us with your grace. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for coming this week. Have a good night, a good summer. We'll see you next year.